everyone. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of Ruth. We're going to just be looking at Ruth chapter 3 tonight. Next week will be chapter 4. We'll finish up the following week after that. Is there going to be our soup night, prayer, praise, and communion night? Then the following week after that is going to be our harvest night there. And so um, we probably could have done chapters 3 and 4 tonight, but then I didn't really want to start another book next week. So we're just kind of spreading out just a little bit. And so uh, we'll do 3 tonight for uh, next week, and then um, we'll see where we're going to go come November. Uh, Ruth chapter 3. As you're turning there, uh, just kind of an update. I think I shared this last week. We've been um, having some the, the plans drawn up for the, the actual plans drawn up for the property, but in the process, we called a excavating company, and they actually had smoothed out all the land that was there because we had trees and we had weeds and we had because we had knocked down a lot of the trees and grounded all the stumps. I think we have a picture of Randy hanging from a tree, um, but uh, uh, I think he almost fell actually. But anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but if you happen to drive by it, you'll see a, a big difference. I mean, they just really smoothed it all out, and so I just can't wait. You know, I just look at it and go, oh, Lord, it's just exciting what the Lord's doing. And so, uh, but that's up there. I want to give you an update on that. Uh, let's go before the Lord and ask his blessing upon our time tonight. Father, we thank you for your love, grace, the work that you're doing in each one of our hearts. Lord, for this opportunity that we might draw closer to you as we open up your word and we see this beautiful love story in the book of Ruth. Lord, we thank you for the love that you have for us and how you want us to grow in our relationship with you, Lord. And the way we do that is is what we're doing this evening, Lord, spending time in your presence and worship and in your word. So we ask your blessing upon it. Lord, that we would have attentive ears to receive all that you have for us tonight. We thank you for this time uh, together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, chapter 2 was a, a wonderful story of boy meets girl. Verse 3 of chapter 2, Ruth goes into the fields after the reapers, and it just so happened, it says in verse 3, so happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. And we looked at how nothing really just so happens. God is always at work and 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 there's this this wonderful, great plan coming about. And God knows every detail of it. And he's just kind of bringing it all together. And from our perspective now, we can read it and and see how God's hand was in each step of the way. We also looked how uh, Ruth is a great picture of you and me. We're the bride of Christ. We were lost. We were poor. We were hungry. And it just so happened that we found ourselves in his field one day, and God saved us. And we've seen the story of Ruth and Boaz as a love story that parallels the love Christ has for his church. Now, if you remember, last week we saw how Boaz went out to his fields, and he's kind of looking around, he saw the usual people, the woman, then his eyes got, you know, got fixated on, on Ruth, and he said, whoa, who is this babe? Okay, that's my paraphrase, but she caught his eye. So then Boaz goes to meet Ruth. Now, it doesn't tell us how that happened. But if you use your sanctified imagination for a moment, uh, you know, I think that the whole first scenario 
Might have been awkward, you know, kind of like a, maybe a first date or something like that. She's working away, picking up the grain here and there and picking it up. And, and along comes this handsome fellow, evidently a wealthy man by his clothes. And she, she drops her eyes, kind of afraid to look up at him. And he stands on one foot, then the other, then <clears throat> clears his throat a couple of times and says, Shalom. She, you know, she looks up and says, uh, Shalom. And then, you know, he says to her, listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my maidens. And as we trace through the chapter 2, we found that Boaz tells his men to, to drop a little grain here and there so as to increase what she's gleaning out of the field. Now, to her amazement, she discovers that these workmen are undoubtedly the sloppiest workmen in the whole kingdom of Israel. Because they're leaving, leaving, leaving just huge, you know, piles of grain on the ground right in front of her. So she's picking it up and picking it up and picking it up. And she goes home that night. Her aprons are full. She beats out the grain and comes to Naomi with this whole epad full of grain. Now, an epad is probably a little more than a bushel of barley. Nine gallons. I think it's about nine gallons. That, that's a bunch. And, and Naomi greets and says, well, where have you been working today? And she says, well, I, I gleaned from a field of, of a man whose his name is Boaz. And we, we remember that, that, you know, that Naomi got a little bit excited. In verse 20 of chapter 2, she says, Blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. And she's probably jumping up and down. Yes, yes. She says, Boaz is our kinsman redeemer. You see, the, the, the Hebrew word for nearest kin literally means one who has the right to redeem. And that really is the main point of this whole story. You see, it wasn't just a husband for Ruth that Boaz could provide. It was also the fact that he could be Naomi's kinsman redeemer. Now, what is a kinsman redeemer? Well, without an understanding of this concept, the book of Ruth really doesn't make much sense. And, and neither, if you think about it, you know, Revelation chapter 5 and the seven sealed scrolls, that, that wouldn't make any sense either. I mean, let, let's give a little uh, explanation about this. We know that the land of Israel belonged to God. The Jews were not to sell it away, but they could essentially lease it out if they wanted to. And the longest it could be leased and remain in others' hands would be 50 years. But listen to what the law said. This is Leviticus 25, verse 23 through 28. The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possessions you shall grant redemption of the land. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since it fell and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. But if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee, and in the Jubilee it shall be released, and shall, he shall return to his possession. So if you had to sell your land like Elimelech did when he moved his family to Moab, your closest relative could buy it back for you. This man was called then a kinsman redeemer in the Hebrew, the Gaal. So Naomi here believes that Boaz can marry Ruth and redeem her husband's lost land. He is the kinsman redeemer. Now here's why. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 and 6. It says this. 
If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So there was a, a legal right of redemption. In other words, the right of redemption is the right to bring life out of death, to restore life that was once dead. Now, the kinsmen, of course, had to be willing and able to redeem. Thus, the perfect picture of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Titus 2.14 says this, Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. He was, he is our kinsman redeemer. Now, as we come to chapter 3 of Ruth, in reading through this, it may appear to you upon first read that, that Ruth acts in a way that may seem presumptuous or, or, or very unladylike, but she's really acting quite strictly in accordance with the law of Israel. Ruth is following the custom of the day and will present her case to Boaz. If he was to redeem her deceased husband's estate, he must also marry Ruth the widow. Now again, we have a, a picture in chapter 3 of our relationship with Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, as we grow in our relationship with him. But all this goes back really to when Ruth was committed to follow the one true God back in chapter 1. Verse 16 and 17, when she said, Your people shall be my people, your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And we've seen her grow in her relationship with the Lord. And now her growing in her relationship with Boaz, consistently relying upon his grace in chapter 2. Now, chapter 3, we're almost there yet. We're almost to verse 1. In chapter 3, it's all about the three R's. Refining, rest, and rewards. As we grow as Christians, our faith has got to be tried and refined, and our faith really uh, is really of little use until uh, that has happened. But this chapter doesn't leave us there, as it also shows us the rest and the fruit that is produced during times of testing. So we can learn three things in this chapter. Uh, the process the Lord uses in bringing us closer to Himself, number one. Number two, what the true rest of God is. And number three, where fruit and growth in your Christian character comes from. Finally, let's look now at verse 1 of chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young woman you were with, is he not a relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So chapter 3 starts out with Ruth growing closer to Boaz, and it parallels us drawing, drawing closer to the Lord. Ruth had known the provision of Boaz and had sought refuge under the wings of the God of Israel, as Boaz himself said earlier. We've also seen that her working in Boaz's field has seen his gracious uh, commitment to her in return. But Naomi, on the other hand, she had a bigger picture for Ruth. She could see something far better for Ruth than just being a worker in Boaz's field. She could see uh, Ruth fully redeemed, loved, and honored as a wife. So Naomi becomes the matchmaker. You know, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me, you know, the fiddler on the roof all over again. But it, just wasn't gonna, but it wasn't going to be easy and it would involve Ruth placing herself at the feet of Boaz, totally reliant upon his will. So you know what, know what Naomi tells Ruth in verse 2 that Boaz is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. 
Now the threshing floor, and you may know this, was where they would process the seed coverings in order to remove the wheat or the barley. After the, after the harvest, that they'd cut the grain, it was spread out in this dry, dry, flat, open area on the ground called a threshing floor. And uh, the dried stalks are there either beaten with, with flails or crushed by a heavy board in which sharp stones have been embedded in them. And, and uh, you know, they'd push it down and put up in the wind and, uh, you know, uh, it would fly and then the, the grain would stay on the ground. And men often slept at the flesh, uh, the fleshing, the threshing floor to protect the grain. They don't, you know, after doing all the work, they don't want someone to steal it, so they would sleep there on the threshing floor. Again, Boaz is a type of Christ. Ruth is a picture of the church. As we go on in our Christian life, there are times also when we must also be found at that threshing floor. But it's where our Redeemer is. It's a time of testing. It's a time of refining. And just as the threshing floor was used to separate the true grain from the chaff, so these times in our own lives are used to refine and purify our faith in Him. James puts it this way in James 1, verse 2 through 4, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. All I can say is that's never really fun, okay? Count it all joy, but when you go through trials, it can be difficult. But as we shall see through this testing, she would learn what it is to rest in him, and his provision would be greater than any other time before. Well, Naomi continues, look at verse 3. She says, Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So three things are given for Ruth to do to prepare himself to meet Boaz. Wash yourself, anoint yourself, and put on her best clothes. No doubt a good thing if you're ready to go on a date, make sure you're clean. And then, you know, but, but actually, there's more to this than that. These three acts were quite common in the Old Testament and, in fact, each paralleled for us in the New Testament. In the New Testament, wash yourself. We're to be washed in the water of the Word, Ephesians 5.26 tells us. It means examining our lives through the Word of God and allowing it to govern our attitudes, our motives, our desires to change our lives, especially in times of testing. It's a Word of God that brings light to our path, gives us hope, and helps us to persevere. Number two, she says, anoint yourself. That always speaks of the enabling power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Ephesians, Ephesians 5.18 tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's really, the, the Greek is a be being filled. Continual filling of the Holy Spirit. Something we need especially true in our lives when, uh, you know, when we're going through trials and, and difficulties. The number three Put on your best clothes. This speaks of a righteous life. Revelation 19.8 says, It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. It's only possible if you have the first two tasks in place. So in times of, of testing and trials, make sure you're washed in the water of the Word. Make sure you're walking in the Spirit. Make sure you're living a life of righteousness. While Naomi continues in verse 4, she says, after you've washed yourself, anointed yourself, put on your best garment, go down to the threshing floor, verse 4, then it shall be, when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So Naomi is telling Ruth to cast herself at Boaz's feet. Now, 
I'm sure Ruth would have no idea what would happen next or what his reaction would be. But she knew that she needed to adhere to what Naomi was saying and lie down at the feet of Boaz, even if it meant being on that, that threshing floor. Have you ever felt like that? You're going through a time of testing and, and, and struggles and, and you're not sure what to do next. And all you can do is just throw yourself down at the Lord's feet, trusting that he's going to work these situations out in your life. To us, it seems like a huge risk, but to the Lord, it's the very place that he wants us to be. Look at verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly and covered his feet and lay down. Now again, there's nothing seductive in this. There's nothing immoral in this. This was a practice at that time. Ruth is not coming on to Boaz. And, and, and indeed, the uncovering of and the laying at his feet indicates not a, a forwardness, but a humility. She's coming to him really with a proposal for marriage, for him to be her kinsman redeemer. Now, when, when Boaz wakes up, as we'll see in a little bit, and realizes that there's a woman lying at his feet, he's surprised, and, and he asked who she was. She says in, in verse 9, I am Ruth, your maid, so spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. She asked him to spread his covering over, over her. Now, what does that mean? Well, literally, she said, spread your wings over your maid. Same expression Boaz used when he spoke to her back in chapter 2, verse 12. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Boaz has said you have taken refuge under God's wing. Now Ruth is saying, spread your wings over me and give me refuge. Again, she's not being forward. She's saying, Boaz, you are my Galel, my, my kinsman redeemer. It's a marriage proposal. And it seems from reading Deuteronomy 25 that this was actually the woman's duty to instigate uh, uh, the Gael to, to marriage in the first place. Because what Ruth is doing here is proper in the eyes of God and His law. And she's, she's doing it the right way. She's wanting to please her God now. And that's really important uh, if you're dating, if you're engaged, you know, married couples, you know, to do it the right way in, in pleasing the Lord, not, not living together before you're married, not premarital sex before you're married. Really seeking the Lord every step of the way in the marriage relationship. Ruth really was honoring God in the way she's presenting herself to Boaz. And think about this. Ruth had no idea how Boaz was going to respond. When she gets there, there, could, there he could say, woman, get out of here. What are you doing on my feet? You know, get, you know, get lost, you know. Or, or maybe he wouldn't even pay any attention to her at all. She was unsure of how the events were going to happen, but she did go and she did follow Naomi's advice and went down to the threshing floor. Again, look, look back at verse 6. She went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed. Again, the threshing floor, the place of refining in our lives, that place of trials that refines our faith, notice that it's down. It's down. It, it's a place where, as John the Baptist says, I must decrease and, and he must increase. It's a place of humility coming before the Lord. I mean, humbleness, which is easier to talk about, many times difficult to do. Maybe that means for some coming and acknowledging to the Lord that you've blown it as a Christian. Maybe you, you fell as a husband or failure as, as a mother or wife. But you see, when God, when, when God creates, he starts with nothing and creates something. When God makes a somebody, He always starts with nobody. It always starts with humility. It starts by laying down your life in humility at His feet. 
I don't know who first said this, but I've always liked it. The saying, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was a somebody, killed an Egyptian and spent 40 years tending sheep, learning he was a nobody, and then spent another 40 years in the desert learning that God can take a nobody and make them a somebody. I like that thing because when God makes a somebody, he always starts with nobodies. But it starts with, with us being humble and humbling our lives before him. Now look at verse 8. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. <laughs> to quote Gomer Pyle, surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Boaz, to say the least, was startled. But for Ruth, I mean, it might as well have been all night long. I mean, it probably doesn't sound that long for us midnight, but here is Ruth lying at Boaz's feet for who knows how long, thinking, is he going to accept me? Is, is, is he going to marry me? Will he redeem me? Uh, I just wish he would wake up. You know, maybe she started, you know, taking things and dropping them, making noises or <laughs> coughing, <coughs> you know, or tickling his feet a little bit. I don't know, just, just to wake him up. I mean, think about Ruth there on the threshing floor, listening to every breath Boaz made, wondering how much longer. When will this be over? What's going to happen? Isn't that the same thing we go through in the midst of a trial? We find ourselves on that threshing floor of struggles and we wonder, Lord, how much longer am I going to be going through this? Lord, when is this ever going to end? Or maybe it seems that God is asleep or at least oblivious to the whole ordeal. But he isn't. And there will always come a time when Boaz awakes and though it takes longer usually than we would like, there will always come a time when God hears our cries and acts upon our cries. Now, what would have been the best thing for Ruth at this time instead of maybe freaking out? We don't read she freaked out, but I can imagine she might have. The best thing for her would be just to rest. Just to rest as much as possible and worry as least as possible. Same thing is true for us. Psalm 37, verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his ways, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. While Boaz is awakened, now again look at verse 9. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Now, what's he going to say? The moment Ruth has been waiting for. Verse 10. Then he said, No way, get out of here. No. Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. Apparently there was a considerable age difference between Ruth and and Boaz, but it also seems that because of this, Boaz might have considered himself unattractive to Ruth and maybe therefore ruled out any romance, you know, between them. Boy, was he wrong. But it also shows something else wonderful about Ruth, and that is she's based her attraction to Boaz more on respect than on image or appearance. See, according to the Mosaic law, Ruth could have taken Boaz to the court and called the elders of the city together and then made a claim that Boaz would be her kinsman redeemer. But Naomi suggests that Ruth go to the threshing floor to show that this is a, a love relationship, not just a legal relationship. If Boaz responds to her, it would be because he wants to, not because he has to. 
And obviously, Boaz immediately wanted to claim, uh, you know, Ruth as his wife. It's a love story. And we can thank God that we have a Savior and our relationship with Him is a love story. How He gave His life for us, how He loved us in order that He might redeem us. I mean, isn't it a, a great to know that we have a Savior that will vouch for us because He knows us and loves us? Well, here in verse 11, we see Boaz does the same thing for Ruth. Look at verse 11. Boaz says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. She's, she's a, made a name for herself. That she's a, a godly woman, a, a woman of virtue, Proverbs 31 woman. Boaz here is amazed at her commitment, her, her faith, her kindness. Again, saying she's a woman of virtue and, and, and that he was more than willing to take care of her. And I love again that this was a love relationship first, not just a legal commitment as the Lord brought them together. She sought a relationship with him and, and not with his money or his, his possessions. Didn't go after those that were rich. She just sought this relationship. And doesn't that also just please the Lord Jesus when we choose to seek after him and instead of wealth or, or other worldly pleasures, we would just look into the Lord. I read once a quote that said, you can test whether you love God by whether you seek after him or after his gifts. Boaz was pleased with Ruth's choice and in verse 11 he responds by the same words that Jesus said more than any other. Do not fear. Do not fear. Now what about us? Do you ever feel like you're currently taking a beating down on, on the threshing floor wondering how circumstances are going to turn out? If you have, have you laid the result before Jesus and rested at his feet? Have you washed yourself in his word and allowed the Lord Jesus Christ to speak those words, do not fear into your life or wherever you're at? Notice also that Boaz says, I will do whatever you ask for. You are a woman of virtue. See, that is God's response once we have put ourselves in that position at his feet as well. Not that God calls us women of virtue, but he does call us his friend. Jesus in John 15 said this in verses 14 through 17. <clears throat> You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you these things I command you, that you love one another. See, the more time that we spend at the feet of Jesus the more we'll know how much He loves us and what His will is for our lives. And the great thing about that is that His desires for our lives become our desires. We're then wanting the things that the Lord wants for our lives. So whatever you ask in, in the Father's name, in my name, Jesus says, He may give it to you because it's according to His will, which we have discovered by spending time at the feet of Jesus. Same way that Boaz says, I will do whatever you ask for you are a woman of virtue. Again, Proverbs 31, woman. Ruth had a reputation in town as being excellent, virtuous. Although she was a Moabite, Boaz has no reservations about marrying her. Except one. Look at verse 12. He says, Now it is true that I'm a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Oh, snap. You know, everything's going, you know, pretty well. And, 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 you know, Ruth is going, yeah, this is working great. And, and all the trials over, this is awesome. Yeah, it is. It's awesome. But 
And it's like, oh man, this trial, you mean it's going to go on just a little bit longer? Well, because God has got a little more to teach, a little more to, to learn to trust Him. You see, here's the sticky part of the story. There was actually a kinsman closer than Boaz that would legally be the first one in line to redeem Naomi's land and Ruth, Ruth's hand. But Boaz, he, he's a wise man. He wants to do things right. So look at verse 13, and, and here's what he's going to do. Look at verse 13. He says, 13 and 14, Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. I, I bet that was one of the hardest things for him to say. He said, let him do it. He says, but if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. And then he says, lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Now, even though nothing immoral had gone on, Boaz was worried about gossip that would start if people saw that Ruth had spent the night on the threshing floor where he was. And, and this is wisdom. Wisdom that, that we need to walk in. We need to live our lives above reproach. You know, Boaz is, is every step of the way, he's going, man, I, I, want, I want to do this right. Tomorrow, we'll see. You know, then we'll, we'll look, at, look at it next week when we get to chapter 4. How this, you know, the, 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 the close relative, we'll see what he wants to do. But for right now, We've got to do what's right. We've got to do what, what, what God calls us to do. And, and I want you to leave before you know, anybody else sees. And, and that's wisdom. It's wisdom that more of us need to walk and we need our lives to be above reproach. Remember, we have an enemy that's out there seeking to destroy us. 1 Peter 5 eight. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's got all different ways to pounce on us and, and figure out how to destroy us and chomp on us and bring us down. So we need to be aware of that. And we need to ask ourselves all the time, what am I doing? If what I'm doing now were it was it to be made public, would I be ashamed? If the police knew what I was doing right now, would, would I be arrested? If an unbeliever saw this, would it be a bad witness? If my co-worker knew this, would it bring reproach to my reputation? If a fellow Christian saw me do this, would I stumble them? See, what we say, what we do, how we live, how we drive, how we talk to people, how we handle our finances, how we spend our time, how we pay our taxes, how we pay our bills, how we just, everything must be examined to make sure that we are above reproach, blameless. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. First Thessalonians 5.22 Abstain from all appearances of evil. See, we don't want to give the enemy opportunity to bring accusations against us. And Boaz not wanting uh, to give the devil or the local gossips any opportunity has Ruth leave before the sun comes up. But, but up until morning, Boaz tells Ruth, do not fear. Remain. Rest here for the night. Now that's, again, the rest that we talked about earlier. It's the rest. She had to rest on that threshing floor knowing that, that Boaz would now be looking out for her. And is the picture any clearer? Testing and trials come into our lives for the refining of our faith. But what the Lord is after is that attitude that places the problem at his feet as we remain restful in the midst of the trial. To be at rest regardless of what's going on around us. Well, Boaz is not finished yet. Look now at verse uh, 15. Also, he said, 
Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six epas of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. I mean, that had to be pretty heavy. That's a lot here. Verse 16, when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. And we will conclude the matter next week. But one final thought as we close out this chapter. We've seen the process that the Lord uses to bring us closer to himself. It's that threshing force, trials, difficulties. We've seen the rest that comes from just sitting at his feet, being in his word. And now, in closing, we see the fruit and the growth in the Christian uh, the, the, the character that, that comes from the first two. I mean, think about this. In her early relationship with Boaz, Ruth had worked all day in Boaz's field and beat out about, about 22 liters of, of barley. But now, after being on the threshing floor, Boaz gives Ruth, Ruth a, a gift of six measures, which according to the Bible Knowledge Commentary is about 46 liters. That's, that's a lot. And, and, and it says that she was carrying it herself. I'm thinking, man, I, I can barely carry four liters of soda. But, but anyway, think about this. Have you found this to be true in your own life? Have you noticed that the hard times produce far more growth in your character than any other matter of normal daily living? We may not like it, but it's true. You look back at the, the difficulties and the struggles and you go, you know, I was, that was the closest I've been to the Lord when I was going through that time. And God really spoke to my heart when, when I was faced with that difficulty. God does this amazing thing as, as we went through this. And as you go through the next trial, you have more patience. You have more understanding. You're, you're waiting on the Lord because now you're trusting the Lord in a greater capacity. Why? Because you went through that time of testing to begin with. And so now there's this fruit is coming out of our life. See, if you've been a Christian long enough, and I'm sure you can look back at specific difficult times, hard times, that you can testify and say, man, that was truly when I, I learned more about the character and the faithfulness of my Lord. And it was during those times that God produced in you that type of fruit that remains. Now, we can read a whole bunch of books on, on, on sermons on, 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 you know, on, on, for years, but we only truly know something of knowledge, really, as, as we are tested in that. As the Lord puts us through it and we're tested, we're going, oh, okay, now, now I really understand. I heard, but now I understand. And God causes growth in our life. May we, like Ruth, desire to go deeper learning to rest, lay it all at the feet of Jesus, knowing that God will produce fruit in our lives. Okay, we're going to close here and we'll finish up this great love letter next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night tonight, Lord. We thank you for what a beautiful love story it is because it reflects back to us just how much you love us. Lord, how we were uh, lost, we are destined for destruction, Lord. But we have a Redeemer, one who came to this earth, took upon himself all of our sins, all of our shame, bore it, went to the cross, paid the penalty for our sins that we might be redeemed. He went through the threshing floor himself, our Savior, our Lord, took the beatings so that we wouldn't have to, so we can have this life that we live. Lord, we're so thankful for your grace
and mercy. Lord, we do count it all joy, as your word says, when we go through trials and difficulties. Because we know, according to your word, that it produces patience. It produces fruit in our lives. And we praise you for that, Lord God. Lord, I know it's not fun, but there is joy knowing that, that you are working all things out for good to those that, are, are, that love you, that are the call according to your purpose. So we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for this night. Pray, Lord, for any of us that may be going through a difficult time tonight, a trial, a circumstance. Help us, Lord, just to look to your word, to rest at your feet, knowing that you will work all things together for good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.